Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your new bub, B, and this is another edition of the Quarantine Digital Book Tour. Uh, I'm joined today by the author of the Divergent series, of the Carve the Mark duology, and of a really excellent um, essay in the New York Times that just came out about sort of coming off of anxiety medication during quarantine, um, which I think you should all take a look at. Um, but today we're here to talk about her new book, Chosen Ones, which mm, is probably my favorite of the uh, the very small subgenre of uh, post post chosen people. <laughs> um, I'm thinking <laughs> it's of a very small subgenre. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of like the magicians and um, China Mievel's Unlondone, but maybe only those two books. Um, <laughs> hi, Veronica. Hi. Sorry. It's all good. Um, do you want to do you want to introduce the book a little bit? Yeah, sure. So Chosen Ones is about a group of people who uh, defeated a kind of dark lord figure known as the Dark One and saved the world when they were teenagers. And now it's 10 years later, and they're still dealing with the repercussions of that, both psychologically and in the world around them. And I was kind of inspired by the the many, many Chosen One stories I read um, as a youth. So mm-hmm. I always wondered what would happen to them afterward. And this book is sort of my exploration of that. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's both great because that is underexplored and also because of the, the sort of, it's the Chosen Ones, not Chosen One, you know, yeah. it's, it's a group of Chosen Ones that, I don't know, that's, I'm always into the interplay of characters in fiction, so, uh, and I think this book, I mean, we'll get into that later. Uh, we should start <laughs> with a reading. <laughs> sure. I don't think this needs that much introduction, but the book is told through two different formats, sort of. There's the narrative, which is very classic third person, and then there's these documents that are kind of interspersed. Uh, so this is an excerpt from a fake textbook. All right. Excerpt from... The Dark One and the Emergence of Modern Magic by Professor Stanley Wisniewski. There are, of course, some who would argue that the little understood force we informally refer to as magic has always existed on Earth in some form. Legends of supernatural incidents date back to the beginning of human history, from Herodotus's Magoi, who commanded the wind, to Jedi of ancient Egypt, who made a show of decapitating and then restoring birds such as geese and pelicans, as recorded in the Westcar Papyrus. Arguably, it is an integral part of nearly every major religion, from Jesus Christ turning water to wine, to Haitian voodoo practices, to reports of Theravada Buddhists levitating in the Dirga Agama, though notably those acts are not referred to as magic by practitioners. These stories, great and small, appear in all cultures across all regions in all of time. Formerly, scholars might have said that it's simply human nature to devise imaginative stories to explain things we don't understand, or to aggrandize those we perceive to be higher or greater than ourselves. But then the Dark One came, and with him, the drains, those infamous catastrophic events that could not be explained despite valiant attempts by scientists to do so. Perhaps there is no truth to the ancient legends at all. But perhaps there has always been a supranormal force, a little understood energy, that intrudes upon our world. Whichever theory we posit, one thing is certain. No magic was ever as plain or as powerful as the drains the Dark One wielded against humanity. It is the purpose of this paper to explore various hypotheses for why this may be. In other words, why now? What were the circumstances leading up to his arrival? What goal was he working toward before he was thwarted by our five chosen ones? What effect has he had on the planet since his death? That is all. Hell yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I like that you started out with that one because I feel like, well, how do I say this? I adored the world building in this book a lot. Um, and also like half of the questions I want to ask you are definitely spoilery. Because ah. <laughs> uh, there is a there's a there's a turn at a certain point in the book, um, and despite my um, general disagreement with hiding spoilers, I know our listeners prefer not to be spoiled on things, so I will avoid them to the best of my ability. I know it's been a little tough to talk about this book for the reason that you just gave, which is I kind of have to dance around certain things a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I guess just for listeners, you know, if, if I ask a question that sounds a little vague, it's not because I don't have a very specific thing in mind. It's because I'm trying not to give away a thing. <laughs> um, so part of me was like, I wonder if you're going to read the, um, the the quote from Trilby Magazine as uh, your opening reading. <laughs> which... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems intense to read also, so I, I wouldn't blame you. It, you know, it but... makes me feel like I have to take a shower after I read it. Yeah. So I, I've been avoiding it lately, but. It's a it's a hell of a it's a hell of an opening <laughs> to this like story. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of these documents throughout the text. Um, sort of they're framed uh, sort of through an in-world explanation. They basically are FOIAed uh, CAA documents and you know various journals and stuff like that. But like yeah. I can't remember. Is it the, is it literally the opening that is the Trilby magazine? Um, no, there's there a little bit before that. So the one I just read is before that. And then there's okay. one quote from a, that was the hardest one to write was from a comedian. It's just yes. a paragraph and I'm not, I mean, I'm not a comedian, so it took yeah. me a long time to write it. Um, yeah. But those, yeah. And then the Trilby piece. So they, they start off. The yeah. Book. So it's sort of like a, like an MRA sort of uh, mag, like a mag, I mean, when I see the word Trilby, I think of MRAs. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the odd thing is this was a conversation I had with my editor. He was like, what kind of like edgy, weird online publication is this? And I said, actually, the pieces I read for research are very mainstream. Rolling Stone, Esquire, um, Vanity Fair, that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know what Trilby magazine is. It's sort of fake. You know, we had to um, right. go through a lot of names before I found one that's not actually real. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. <laughs> But it's a it's a piece about um, the POV character Sloan and um, how she appears after you know ten years after the defeat of the Dark One, and it's a it's a piece that's just basically like talking about how much this writer wants to hate fuck her. Yeah. And I don't know. It it felt. I mean, it feels fucking gross to read, but it also felt like a a moment like you know like you said uh, that you would see in in a Rolling Stone. <laughs> um, yeah. Like not that long ago. Or probably right now, if you're talking Jenners or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thankfully, less common now than even a couple of years ago. Um, but still possible, certainly. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I feel like I only have like the very broad question of, you know, what what was it like world building this novel? And I, I want to have a deeper one. But like, I don't know. What was it like? I mean, obviously, you did a lot of research. <laughs> I did a lot of research. Um, oh, man, I should hold on. I'm just getting out my research notebook just in case, just in mm-hmm. case I need to refer to it. Um, but yeah, world building was tough. I think in the past I've written um, Divergent was a ground, more grounded set in a real world, but not culturally similar to ours at all. And then my follow-up series Carve the Bark was in a galaxy far, far away. You'd think that inventing a whole world from scratch would be 
harder, but it's not, is what I discovered. (laughs) Uh, For this book, I had to develop an alternate history. And what that meant is that I had to confront how little I actually know about our own history, you know, only in kind of general terms. The last time I learned about it was in high school. So um, I had to... I don't know. I watched a lot of videos on like the history of modern computing and I did a lot of research on architecture and the space race and um, sonar and stuff like that. It just became, um, yeah, it was a very interesting and difficult rabbit hole (laughs) to get down. Uh, I think I read like hundreds of declassified government documents, mostly from Project MKUltra, which is our government's experiments using LSD in like the, I think the 60s and 70s. Anyway, so I read a lot of those. I mean, it was fascinating, but it was definitely like a the most challenging research process I've ever had for a book. Yeah. All of those things you listed, as soon as you mentioned any one of them, I was like, oh, yeah, this is that's where this panned out in the book. Totally like, oh, yeah, sonar absolutely plays out in a really interesting way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had if I wish I still remembered <laughs> the stuff that I learned. I mean, I wrote down some <laughs> of it, but. Um, not all of it. So anyway, it's all gone in one ear and out the other, unfortunately. Well, and ended up on the page. It did, <laughs> so. yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess, and then I guess sort of more a, um, I guess that was a craft question. So more a, a um, I guess still a craft question is, uh, it almost feels like at some points the, the world building stuff is, is mostly in those documents and in that, si- in the like interstitial stuff, whereas the, the actual story being told of, of Sloan and uh, Matt and Inez and Esther and Albie. Um, it's much more, I think you said at the top, sort of traditionally narrative. It's like, it's very, it's very propulsive writing, very visual writing. And I was wondering if that was like, sort of a conscious thing where you were like, I want to hook them in with the story and then bring them into the world uh, at the other side. Or is it like, was it just an easier way to tell what you wanted to tell? Or... <laughs> That's a good, I mean, that's a very good question. I have to think about that a little. But um, no, I think it just kind of came naturally. I um, I do have a more pared down writing style when I'm writing those narrative sections. I mean, I've always kind of been that way. And um, I've sort of struggled to incorporate detail into world building as a result, um, trying to balance. I mean, you certainly can. People do it all the time. But for me, it's been a learning process to incorporate the level of detail that I might like with the style that I naturally have. So um, I right. think this was kind of a great marriage in in a lot of ways. Um, I could try on like a like a hundred different voices and and incorporate a lot of those like extraneous details that really don't, you know, they might slow down the narrative if they were in those sections. Um, totally. But as it is, they're just like these super condensed world building <laughs> packets. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it very much works for this because, I mean, the, the things that these characters are going through are are very, very, very propulsive moments in their lives. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it opens 10 years after and there's not a lot of time before things start getting uh, pretty hairy again <laughs> for them. Yeah, well, you know... <laughs> Evil, evil doesn't stay dead, etc. <laughs> well, yeah, not just in terms of like you know world-ending catastrophes potentially happening again, but in terms of like interpersonal stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Sloane is clearly dealing with some form of PTSD. It's brought up in the text a lot, yeah. and like it's indicated pretty early on that it's sort of coming to a head in terms of her relationships and stuff like that. And it feels accurate 
to at least certain things that I felt not as someone with necessarily PTSD, but like, uh, you know, I'm a trans person. I have, I have some traumas. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, the way that that propulsive writing is dealt deals with, you know, even internal or, or interpersonal stuff, I think works or worked for me at least as a reader. Well, good. I mean, that's the hope I, um, you know, I wanted to be playful with tropes in the book, but not at the expense of kind of like the emotional reality of the characters, because that is part of what drew my attention to these kinds of stories. By necessity, the chosen one stories of my childhood don't really deal with like the psychological impact of, you know, like Harry Potter killing Voldemort or whatever. Um, right. But like, that's not what they're for. But I'm still interested, you know, in... Yeah what it would be like to carry that kind of burden around to be famous for killing a man seems like a really terrible thing to be famous for, no matter how much yeah. he deserves it, you know? So totally. Um, and I mean, not to, not to talk shit about JK Rowling, but there is definitely, um, a contingent of people who think that she tried to do that in what was a book five of Harry Potter, the one with all the all caps and all the did yelling. not quite manage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oddly enough, that is my favorite one. <laughs> really <laughs> yeah you know i'm that's I, yeah i i did i grew up with harry potter exactly at the right time so um i still have a lot of fondness for that despite her recent whatever we don't need to get into it but she's kind of terrible <laughs> so. yeah <laughs> i i mean i'm in the same boat i like i think i read the first three harry potter books uh like what was it i think it was like 17 15 and 13 times before the fourth book came out oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah yeah well that's all we had for a while you know that yep. fourth book took forever that's what i remember yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah i read the whole series i skipped the prologue because or the, uh, the epilogue rather because me too yeah by that point i was like i think i i think i i think this is good and done and i don't need to know about about these particular characters future but i would like to know about some other chosen ones futures um, yeah to bring it back. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Deviation into Harry Potter land. Uh, I guess, like, one of the other major things I was thinking about, and I sort of briefly mentioned it, is, like, I love how uh, visual the Sloan sections of this book especially are. I, I noticed very early on that there's a lot of really interesting stuff with fashion, and I am uh, not knowledgeable about fashion at all. So I was like, I wrote down, like, a lot of fashion, question mark. Um, <laughs> ask a question. <laughs> I mean, I don't actually know that much about fashion either although i learned a lot um mm -hmm. but what i was thinking about because there's i mean we are gonna be vague again but um <laughs> there's these uh magical objects that kind of facilitate the use of magic in the book they're called siphons and they kind of amplify magic like a wand but one that you wear and i changed the fashion to kind of revolve around them because much like we put little like touch pads in all of our gloves now so that we can mm -hmm. use an iPhone or whatever. <laughs> um, I just thought it seemed natural for people to want to like display this expensive object that is basically like attached to their body in much the way that my phone is attached to my body. <laughs> Never far away. <laughs> yeah, I, I have already gotten one phantom ring in my pocket, like buzz in my pocket since we've started talking and I can see my phone like not in my pockets. So. I know. Yes. It is definitely um, grafted on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also architecture. Um, I, I feel like the mixture of fashion and architecture made me realize how just visually centered this book is in a, a really compelling way because 
I mean, partially that's just because it's clear that you you quite like Chicago, I feel like. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I keep destroying it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Chicago for me is a place, is like one of those places I'm like, I would love to move there. I've never been there, I but it feels like the right kind of city for me, having been in not very many cities. But I lived in the Midwest in, in Wisconsin during a... Uh, the transition from snowstorm to, you know, 90 degrees and 85% humidity every day. So <laughs> yeah, well, if you've weathered one Wisconsin snowstorm, then you know how bad it can get here, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do love it here. And it's, uh, I mean, the architecture is such a standout part of it mm-hmm. and defines it so clearly, even in the neighborhoods, like everything is built out of red brick here. Uh, I know that's fairly common in cities, but here it's because it burned down once and now nothing is made of wood. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I Yeah, I do. I love it here. And I have trouble articulating exactly why to people, but um, it's home, so. It's not to do another, you know, diversion into another book, but uh, it kind of, reading this kind of reminded me or like gave me the impression that like somebody reading this in Chicago might feel the same way I felt reading um, Tommy Orange's There There, um, which I don't know if you've, have you read that or if you heard of that? No, I haven't. Okay. It's a, it's a fairly recent book. It came out in the last couple of years by a native author who, and it's all about Oakland and it's about like a big uh, powwow that takes place in Oakland. And there was definitely a moment reading it where I was on, on a BART train, you know, the, the commuter train and like heard the name of the stop I was passing and then read the name of the stop I was passing on the train. (laughs) And I was just like, this is must, this must be what it feels like to like be a big fan of fiction and live in New York city. (laughs) I know they get it all the time. We get it less often. (laughs) Yeah. Less populous cities. Um, Mm -hmm. What's that one called? Uh, They're there. They're there. Yes. Yeah. Highly recommended. All right. But yeah, there was a, there was a moment which I will strip completely of context because it would be very spoilery where uh, Sloane is is running and just re- is repeating the words Wacker Drive over and over. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I could see like being out in, out in Chicago and seeing that and just being like, oh, that's right there, huh? <laughs> um. Yes. Yes, she observes that it's a very strange name for two streets <laughs> that we have. <laughs> also, I guess, speaking of summers or uh of midwest winters and maybe this is a question more about uh sort of the psychology of of sloan and other characters but it was just a moment that really really stuck with me and again i'm going to strip context because spoilers um but there is a moment where uh sloan and matt and esther are sort of at odds with one another because of something sloan has done and matt and esther are sort of icing her out and there is a i didn't write down the page, so I can't get the exact quote. But there's a moment where she talks about how um, how she's experienced this kind of uh, social isolation before, and her reaction to it is the same as uh, when it's too cold, and you just let the let the cold reach into your bones, and you just accept it a- until it no longer feels cold. And um, as somebody who you know both spent a winter in Wisconsin with only a, a very light North Face jacket. Oh, no. And who has very literally done that before. Uh, but also as somebody who, you know, has my own stuff and often feels like uh, the best thing to do is to socially isolate it the second somebody gets mad at me because of, you know, childhood stuff. Uh, that moment was a was a really powerful image and um, sort of rec- like piece of recognition. Um 
Yeah, it's like a it's a survival skill. You're like, I don't need I don't need them. I have to let them go immediately. Like instead of yep. working to resolve the conflict, <laughs> um, yep. you just give up <laughs> right away. Uh, yes. Yes, I'm familiar with that strategy. Yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, it felt very it felt very fucking real to me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's how much like, you know, and this is, I guess, the, the vaguest possible question but like how much of yourself did you put into these characters was it like was it like pieces of you or do they just feel like complete people onto themselves or i think they're all pieces of me yeah um so i'm certainly not i mean in a lot of ways sloan is like a a wish fulfillment because she doesn't care quite as much about the opinions of others which you know would be freeing to actually feel that way i really i feel that uh, you know she has many flaws, but caring about what other people think is not one of them. So, um, <laughs> so she's, uh, she was a little bit cathartic to write about, I think, but the rest of them, I mean, and she certainly does still have pieces of me, I would say, but th- they all are kind of like that. They're like, the five of them are like, if I broke myself into five pieces, um, and just like cram them into characters. And then of course they become their own people you give them little pieces, little qualities, and then they sort of like go off in their own directions. Some are not as, as explored in this book as they will be in the second, but, um, but yeah, they, they all feel familiar, especially in the way that they relate to, um, you know, what, what happened to them and how they have to live now in their, like, their super world famous lives, which is not (laughs) something I like understand on a personal level exactly, but, um, (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I I started this all out by being like I w- I really want to talk about the world building and now I'm just like interrogating you about the specific the more character stuff but whatever <laughs> conversation's <laughs> a conversation uh, yeah. and so like a little bit more craft stuff uh, you mentioned at the top that it's uh, it's the the character stuff is written in a in a third person perspective and I was wondering about that point of view choice actually mm-hmm. um, I don't know maybe this is like too much of you know me having taken a couple of creative writing courses and then you know a bunch of literary theory courses but like there was a lot of there was a lot of interesting stuff with the sort of tight third person pov in this book because sometimes it's um i don't know did you have a a particular reason for choosing that i guess before i go off into (laughs) some bizarre theory um i I, i'm kind of curious to hear your theory but (laughs) I think, um, despite having written my first series in first person and then part of the second series in first person, I do tend to default to third person, but, um, but not usually this close. Like usually I pick one or the other, right? Um, I think it felt right for Sloane just because she, she kind of like is hostile to intrusion. You know, she's like, get out. Um, but she can't, (laughs) she also can't help but be exactly who she is like almost like I what I love about her interactions with Esther is that Esther like sees right through her um Mm -hmm. she's like you you act like you know this like cool alternate or alternative kind of like girl who's like not like the other girls but that's bullshit you know yeah um and so I really appreciate that about their dynamic and you kind of see what Sloane actually is through Esther a little bit more but anyway so it just felt like the right fit I think between distance and intimacy, there's this close third. Yeah, I think I would have not liked this book as much as if it was in first person, partially because I think you wouldn't quite get that same dynamic between the different characters. Um, 
Like, you would feel too attached to Sloane, maybe. Um, yeah, or, like, her perspective was law, which it yeah. isn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah, there was, I don't know, I, things that I kept running up against, which I don't think were, you know, negative in any way, was just, like, sort of noticing moments where the book would, would sort of bring in explanations for why Sloane would notice these things in this tight third person. Like, like the architecture stuff was tied to her brother. The fashion stuff I felt like wasn't super tied to anything in her personality, which was like, or like not explicitly, which gave me space to think about like, oh, why would she be thinking about fashion so much prior to it becoming a very clear demarcation of like class uh, in, yeah, I guess that's as far as I can go with that (laughs) sense. (laughs) Yes, I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like... That's not really a question so much as just a, a bit of a ramble. Sure. <laughs> which yeah. I'm sure you are, le- are very happy that you get uh, that person who stands up in the crowd and says, I don't really have a question, but even, <laughs> you know even on digital book tours. An, an interesting revelation is pretty much as good as a question a lot of the time. So I'm, <laughs> I don't mind it. Also, good, just good, good character interactions. A lot. I really appreciated this, the friendships. I think I, yeah, I wrote a very quick thing also in terms of you know, my revelations, um, that the, the, the friendships here are a complex mixture of accidents, utility, utility, and camaraderie. Just like, you know, people bump into each other totally by accident. They find use in each other and they build camaraderie. And it's not always in that order. It's, yeah, well, <laughs> things happen. In particular here, they, I don't think they have any like natural inclination toward each other. Um, they're sort mm-hmm. of like thrown together in their adolescent years and probably wouldn't get along if they hadn't yeah. been forced to work as a team. <laughs> Which is hella real about friendship sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, and if you go through something intense with someone, then you do always have that, regardless mm-hmm. of any kind of natural inclinations. It's, I don't know. I think that about siblings a lot. Um, not necessarily my own, because I do, in fact, like my siblings a lot. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but that must be the case for a lot of people. Like, we have this bond of whatever we went through in our childhood and even if we wouldn't be friends in high school, like that's what keeps us together. I don't know. Yeah. I also realize I have one more very fluff question that just kind of, kind of works out. Sure. Um, so in the last uh, episode of this quarantine book tour, I, I also preface this as a fluff question uh, because I was just like, oh, that's weird. The trolley problem came up in your book. And then I was reading this and I was like, hey, <laughs> there's the trolley problem again. Um, and the question is like, how come? <laughs> oh my god. I um I think it's cuz okay, so this is the second thing I've written that has mentioned or dealt with the trolley problem in the last okay. year. So it must just be like a thing that's on my mind. So the way that it's it is in this book sort of like who is this bullshit person forcing you to make this choice? And I think yeah. um that's like my main that's like as deep as this revelation goes about the trolley problem. <laughs> Just that this is like a terrible thought experiment. And the person who's asking you to make these calls about who to save and who to not save is like, that's the person we should be looking at. But anyway, it's mostly like yeah. a little joke between me and myself, which there are a few <laughs> in this book. <laughs> I mean, those are the best jokes, in my opinion. Um I kept telling my editor, you know, we'd kind of communicate via like comments on the word document. And there's one particular mm-hmm. document that's a, it's a poem by this like fake Dadaist 
group that's in the book because like magic they believe has kind of unmoored us from what's real and what's not real and so what is reality and they're very funny to me and i don't the think the unrealists any- are great oh good i was just like yeah. i don't know if anyone's gonna find them as funny as i find them but that's my other my other inside joke of myself oh is it the yes i think i know which poem you're the talking poem about is the one that's just what what is it is it what it yeah. is yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 i fucked with that um my, one of my quarantine hobbies has been uh, writing little poems in Animal Crossing, and sometimes they are basically those. Wait, <laughs> so. okay. I play Animal Crossing too. How are you doing this? <laughs> um, you know the bulletin board? Yes. Uh, okay. So just once a day, I will go up there and write like day, uh, what am I on, day 48 or something? <laughs> um, and then just like stream of consciousness, push some words out onto a bulletin board. I like it. And then, yeah, it's... Sometimes relaxing, sometimes exhausting, uh, as writing often is, I feel. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that Animal Crossing could facilitate some creativity instead of just, yeah. <laughs> all I do is harvest peaches. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my island is called Doom. And so everything is nice. like, welcome to Doom. And you're the <laughs> resident whatever of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to build a new bridge on Doom? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Are you from Doom? Yeah. <laughs> Doom's the place to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, so, yeah, should we get into the final reading and then... Yes. All right. Let's see how long this takes. I hope you're... <laughs> I hope you're comfy. <laughs> Context for this is that uh, Sloane and some of the others have been called to this facility, this government facility. So they worked with the government as teenagers and they've been called back to this facility and aren't really sure why. And this is something that happens while, while they're there. Sloane was moving, now without meaning to, toward the double doors across the room. Her body was burning, and as she drew closer, she smelled something sulfurous and chemical and familiar. Her hands had smelled that way after she did magic, with the artifact, the needle of Koshe. She hadn't known when she went with a crew of heiress agents to the middle of the Pacific Ocean how much the needle would cost her. In the end, she had been so desperate to get rid of it that she had chewed it out of her own hand. The others had gone quiet, or maybe she just couldn't hear them over the pulse in her ears. She didn't try the handles of the doors, just pressed both palms against them and drew a long, slow breath. She felt Matt standing behind her. She didn't need to look to know it was him. She knew the shape of him and the heat of him. How close he dared to stand so their arms were almost touching. And not because they were dating, but because that's how Matt was, not afraid to get close to anyone. What is it? he asked. You don't feel it? she said. It feels weird in here, but no more than usual for a drain site, Matt said. Why? What do you feel? Sloane stared at the scar on the back of her right hand, a web of thick tissue paler than the rest of her skin. It's been bothering me since we got here. They made something new, she said, and it's through these doors, somewhere. Okay, Matt said, touching her shoulder. Okay, let's go sit down and ask them about it. Sloane nodded. On some level, she recognized that she would feel embarrassed later, but for now she just let Matt take her hand and lead her back to the table. Agents Henderson and Cho, Albie, and Inez were still sitting there, looking confused. Well, I guess that's as good a segue as any, Henderson said, scratching at his beard. 
Uh, since these incidents have been increasing in frequency, we've stepped up certain programs we are already working on. It seems important to understand what exactly magic is and how to use it, so we've developed a device that we believe channels magic. You reacting to it that way, Sloan, is actually really encouraging. You haven't tested it? Inez said. Not yet, Joe said. We are hoping you might agree to help us. You are, after all, the only people we are aware of who have successfully wielded magic before. You're less likely to cause a catastrophe. Sloane tasted copper. She wished she had kept the empty potato chip bag with her. Did you go for a wand? Inez said. Or like, an orb? Or is it a giant hammer? Please say it's a giant hammer. No, Sloane said. Yeah, you're right, it's the government, so it's probably a boring box, Inez said. No, Sloane said. No, we aren't going to help you test your fucking weapon. Slow, Matt said. Just because it uses magic doesn't mean it's a weapon. Cho sat down in the chair across from Sloane and folded her hands on the table. Her fingers were thick at the knuckle and calloused. Sloane had heard her say once that she liked rock climbing. In order to know how to fix whatever it is that's broken, Cho said, we need to understand how magic works and how it's used. So we have made a tool, that's all. You expect me to believe you developed this thing so you could keep teenage girls from falling into the sky? Sloane scowled. You were already making it before you realized something was wrong. You just said that. We are a branch of the government concerned with scientific advancement, Cho began. I studied history, Sloane interrupted, swallowing down the flavor of blood in her mouth. And I know what motivates the government to invest in scientific advancement. We only have rockets that go into space because you guys are trying to blow up Soviets. This is just another space race. Even if it is a weapon, Henderson said, would you rather Russia or China figure it out first, Sloane? And do you think they won't be racing to harness magic themselves? I would rather governments stopped playing the who-can-destroy-each-other-faster game, Sloane said. She knew by the ringing in her ears that she was panicking. Yeah, well, I'd rather open up a goddamn ice cream shop, Henderson said, but we all have to deal with reality. Countless people have died because of magic, Matt said. Right here in this spot, actually. It happened right in front of us, and you want us to be complicit in something that might bring more of that? He sounded choked. Sloane hadn't heard him sound that way in a long time. After what we've seen? After what we've done? He didn't know the half of it, Sloane thought. He didn't know a damn thing about what she had done, and it would stay that way. I hope that wasn't too out of context <laughs> for, for your <laughs> listeners. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I remember that scene very well, so... You know, listeners, you can you can reach us and uh, let us know how much context we should give you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so before I let you go, um, so Chosen Ones has been out for about a month at this point. Um, you can, I'm sure you can order it at any, um, you know, any uh, bookstore that is doing, you know, what, what would you call it? Uh, properly socially distanced uh, deliveries. Um, yes. What, so what else? Is there anywhere else that people can, like, uh, you know, follow you, support your work during, uh, you know, this particular time? Yeah. Um, yeah, what a weird time. I mean, mostly what I'm focused on is encouraging people to support their local independent bookstore. As I think, I think a goal we, we both share. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, I am on Instagram at vrothbooks, and my website is veronicarothbooks.com. Um, but I'm pretty active on Instagram, so if you have a question or anything, throw it at me there. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. And thanks to WJ for our music. You can find him on SoundCloud. And to Noah Bradley for the art. Uh, you can find that at noahbradley.com. 
uh, Spectology you can find on Twitter at SpectologyPod or email us at SpectologyPod at gmail.com. I'll probably stop plugging my own personal stuff since I'm now like actually a part of this team, but you know, I'm still new. So you can find me on Twitter at, at Ben Laden, that's B-E-N-L-A-D-E-N, and on Patreon at the same. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, this was a really lovely conversation. That's <laughs> um, great. Sorry I rambled so much. <laughs>